You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. The flow of the narrative here in Genesis 3, I'm just going to set the table here before we read it. It's summed up in really three main thoughts. You've got the temptation from Satan... You have the the disobedience from Adam and Eve, and then you have the judgment from God. That's kind of how it's laid out for us. In Adam and Eve, they were tempted when Satan came along in the form of a servant. They, They chose to disobey God's commandments, and because of their disobedience, then they had to deal with the judgment, God's righteous judgment Uh, about their sin they make this attempt to cover themselves up with leaves they try to hide in the woods behind the trees but there's no way that you can escape God's judgment when you disobey they find that out very clearly and most of chapter 3 deals with the judgment process so we're going to be again reading in verse 6 and it says and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree, whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. If you wonder why no one likes to take responsibility for their actions, it's been happening for a long time. And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to me to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And look at the woman does. And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman." And between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Those are two very important verses to our text today. Verse 16, it says, Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, Cursed is the ground for thy sake, in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it was thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did, he, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them? And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, 
to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. This is the story of paradise gained and paradise lost. Adam and Eve began with life, but now they will have death. They started with pain or pleasure, and now they've got pain. They started with perfect harmony with God and with each other, but now there's separation. In the beginning, everything God made was good, but now there's evil. These are the consequences of sin, folks. It brings about many terrible things, things that we're still dealing with thousands of years later. But as we deal with the conflict between good and evil, because of what happened here in Genesis 3, we also, in the midst of it all, we have hope. Hope given by God even right here, that even though evil is strong, good wins in the end. I'd like to focus on that this morning. The title today is Bruised But Not Beaten. Bruised But Not Beaten. Let's pray. Lord, we come and humble ourselves before you. Pray that you bless the reading of your word. Help us today to hear from your Holy Spirit through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. When God first created heaven and earth, everything was good. There wasn't one thing about it that was bad. In its original state, there was only good. Unfortunately, it did not last long. Satan came along in the form of a serpent and cast doubt on God's word, which led to Adam and Eve's disobedience and the consequences of sin. So where there was once only good, now there is also evil. The conflict between good and evil is a part of the human experience. It's a part of our lives. Think about it. Every, every good story, at the root of every good story, is this conflict between good and evil. I was just talking to, to my children. We were reminiscing about when they were young, and I would tell them stories at bedtime, and, and I would usually, there'd always be a bad guy, there'd always be a good guy, and I would always use a cliffhanger. And right before I get to the scary part where the bad guy is about to do something, I would stop and say, and if you want to hear the rest, I'll be back tomorrow. And they would immediately burst into tears. It was awesome. I mean, I had them in the palm of my hand, but they were so ready to hear, what's the bad guy going to do? What's he about to do? Is he going to jump? And I would make them wait. You know, the reason that those stories, they weren't great stories. To my kids, they were everything. But, but there was a bad guy. There has to be a bad guy. You think about history, there's a bad guy. There's a good guy. You think about the Bible narrative, it's the, the story of good versus evil. There are, in novels, there are heroes and there are villains. This chapter sets the table for that. Before this chapter, there was only good. But after this chapter, now there is evil. And it all started with a choice by Adam and Eve. And if you think that evil is getting better, if you think that we're evolving to something better and and evil is going away and good is winning, uh, even Paul told Timothy, he said, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 
Evil is not getting less and good is not winning. It will continue to get worse. You say, thank you for the encouraging message today. You're welcome. You know, it doesn't get better. It's worse and worse. And, and I don't have to tell you that. I, I'm just look around and, and see what's happening in our culture and see the rising of evil. I mean, I was reading just this morning, President Trump um, is dealing with a loss. His brother died last night, if you hadn't heard that. And you know what's trending on Twitter? The hashtag, it says, wrong Trump. People are saying, uh, they're, they're tweeting and they're putting on social media uh, they're saying, you took the wrong Trump, Grim Reaper. That's the culture we live in. Uh, that, that's where we're going. It's getting worse and worse, and it continues to get worse and worse. Paul says, because we're deceiving, they're deceiving, and we're being deceived. Meaning, now, it, at first, you know, it was clear. In the garden, the lines between good and evil were obvious. Good was over here. Evil was all the way over here. But it didn't take long for good and evil to start meeting somewhere in the middle and now because of the deception, it's kind of hard to tell what's good and what's evil. And we live in a culture like Isaiah, which says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness. Good is now called evil and evil is now called good. And if you don't think that's true, just consider the narrative in the media now that the police are now the bad guys and the rioters and the, loo the looters out there, they're the good guys. That's the culture we live in now. The battle between good and evil has caused nothing but destruction since its first introduction here in Genesis chapter 3. It's been downhill ever since. And we can tend to get discouraged and at the presence and the effects of evil. And that's natural. Those, we look around and we try to understand and wonder, where, when will God intervene and when will he take a step? We ask those questions. Those are normal questions. They've, they've been asked for a long time. Let's not forget about the original audience to Genesis chapter 3. The original audience was the children of Israel as they're coming out of bondage from Egypt. For over 430 years, the, the nation of Israel was where they were slaves in Egypt. Can you imagine the kind of questions they were asking about good and evil? You talk about wondering when evil will be taken care of. I mean, they were abused and treated like animals. Their boys, when they were born, were taken in the, from the delivery room and killed in front of their eyes. That's where they came from. Their burdens got so heavy they couldn't bear them anymore. And you have to think that the people reading Genesis 3, and originally, this original audience, the children of Israel, they had to have asked a lot of questions about the, about the battle between good and evil. They had, yeah, they had oral tradition. They had heard the stories of Adam and Eve and Satan in the Garden of Eden. But can you imagine the first time a, a Jewish man sits down after Moses has written the law and maybe he's got a parchment, he's got a piece of paper, and for the first time in writing, he, he's reading, if he can read, he's reading the words of the law on a piece of paper. He'd always heard these stories before they were passed down from his parents, and, and now he's actually looking at the words on the page of the law and he's reading it his whole life. Maybe he's been confused and maybe even angry about being a slave in Egypt. Maybe he watched family members die. Maybe he lost a son or uh, his father or his mother or a wife. So he sits down and I don't know how it works. I'm just using our imagination. Okay, can we do that this morning? So he sits down and he starts to read a, a parchment or a scroll. And, and he gets to the part about the serpent. See, to this point, everything that God had made was good. Everything was blessed. Everything was perfect. 
There was nothing wrong with anyone, anything. And then Satan comes along and deceives Eve. And then Adam then takes of the fruit as well. They disobey. And now everything is ruined. Just drop my notes. Sorry about that. That's the fall right there. Okay. Everything is ruined because of it. Everything is, is thrown backwards. Everything is taken from a state of good to a state of evil. And maybe as this man reads the parchment, maybe a light bulb flips on. And for the first time, he starts to realize that, that evil didn't have its source because God's not a good God. He starts to understand the effects of evil and he sees this big truth, the first big truth this morning is that the effects of evil began with man's choice to sin. The effects of evil, let me say it again, the effects of evil began with man's choice to sin. Notice I didn't say that evil began with man's choice to sin because Satan was already there and he was already evil. The effects of evil, though, on, the man, on mankind's experience, that began with man's choice to sin. God is good. Satan is evil. Men didn't have to deal with the consequences of evil until they disobeyed God. So he's reading Genesis 3, and he's starting to realize the reason that things were hard on us for over 400 years in Egypt, it's not because God is short on goodness. It's not because God is short on love. Yeah, yet if you lived as a slave, think about it. If you lived as a slave your whole life in Egypt and you dealt with that kind of life, you might start to think otherwise. You might start to have questions in your mind about God. And that's why Moses writing this law mattered. Because it brought perspective into the lives of people that had lost it. So back to the man reading. He's reading and maybe he gets down to verse 16. Look at it. And he reads, Under the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And he starts to think about the, all the young children and the mothers that he had, he had watched go through the childbirthing process. And maybe he's thinking about all that had been lost over the years because it wasn't easy. You know, we take childbirth for granted because we have hospitals and and we have epidurals, and we have, you know, we have people that may, I mean, it's just easier now. It, didn't all, it wasn't supposed to be easy from the beginning after they sinned. Maybe he's starting to think, well, that's why it's hard. I mean, I don't know that I ever realized, you know, it's not like God's not a good God. It's not like God hates us and he's just trying to punish us. No, the delivery process is hard because of man's choice to sin. And maybe his whole life, there's been a tinge of bitterness in his heart toward God for making it difficult. Maybe he'd lost a son or a daughter. Maybe he'd lost a wife in the process. And it was good for him to be reminded or have perspective. No, these things are here and they're hard because of sin. So maybe then he reads a little further and he gets to chapter 3, verse 17. It says, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, Cursed is the ground for thy sake, in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it was thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And maybe his whole life he's never really understood why it's so hard. But now he's reading it on the page and he begins to understand the reason life is full of toil. 
And the reason life is full of sweat and the reason that life is hard and as, as there are thorns that make it difficult to grow food, it's because of sin. It's because of the consequences of sin. It's because of man's choice to sin. He's reminded that even death, it says that you'll return to the dust of the ground. And he starts to re- realize, and maybe there's perspective now, I, I realize that death is a result of sin. These things are not in place, folks. And it's good for us to remember, too. These things are not in place because God isn't good. These are in place because evil was introduced by man's choice to sin. And God had to judge man's disobedience. So the man gets to verse 21, and he reads it, and it says, And to Adam also and to his wife did the Lord, clothe, the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. And maybe for the first time he starts to realize as he reads, oh, that's why animals have to die. You know, they're in the wilderness, and maybe the first time he sees a copy of the law, he's looking at the tabernacle in the wilderness. And maybe he's thinking, he's seeing the priests take goat and lambs and, and cattle into the tent and, and to slay them and kill them and sacrifice them before God. And in his mind, he's always had a little trouble with that. You know, he's maybe, maybe he just wondered why, I mean, does God hate animals? Only to realize in Genesis 3, no, the reason that animals had to die from the very beginning is because of man's choice to sin. God had to take an animal and sacrifice it to, to atone for the sins of mankind. It didn't do a permanent work, but it was a temporary sacrifice that would appease and, and atone for mankind so they could be restored to God temporarily. That's why, and maybe for the first time, he's realizing, oh, even the death of animals is a result of, of sin. So he gets to verse 22 and, and, sees, and it says, The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. By the way, there's another proof of the, the Trinity there. God says, Behold, the man has become as one of us. There are three persons in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit from the very beginning. It's been true from, from eternity, that's true. He says, To know good and evil, he says, The man's like us, and now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden to till the ground from whence he was taken. And here, look, and so he drove out the man and he placed the, in the, at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Maybe for the first time as the man reads the parchment and he sees words on a page, he starts to realize, no, God didn't kick man out of the garden because he's a mean God. It's because their disobedience had opened their eyes to good and evil. Listen to this. They were sinners. And if, listen, if they had gone back into the garden and they had gone up to the tree of life and taken a bite of the fruit of the tree of life, they would have lived forever as sinners. And God, in his mercy, kicked them out of the garden so that they would have an opportunity to one day be rid of their sin. If they had taken a bite from the tree of life, they would have lived forever in their sin. And God is saying, no, as an act of mercy, I'll kick them out. And maybe for the first time, this man reading the parchment is starting to realize God's not as bad as I've always thought he was. God's actually a pretty merciful God. All of these things that I've dealt with that are so hard are not a result of a mean God. They're the result of mankind's choice to sin. So imagine how much reading this text for the first time might have helped that man or the average Israelite. 
Things that seem so unfair to him might start coming into view. God wasn't a cruel God. He's not mean or uncaring. He has a plan for mankind. And his plan at the beginning was to live and enjoy blessings and have it good. But man's choice to sin led to the effects of evil. And that is what has caused so much hardship for mankind. The presence of the conflict between God and men was not due to sin. was due to sin, not to God. The presence of pain and toil and hardship and work and labor came after disobedience, not because God isn't good. Death and its great sorrow didn't exist because God hates people. No, death is a consequence of sin. Reading these things for the first time had to help bring perspective. Knowing why they face such hardship has to help. And we'll get to the point here in just a minute. Stay with me. Knowing that God isn't the cause of all the pain has to provide some relief. The battle of good versus evil is confusing and it's difficult. And knowing the background has to bring some sort of relief and clarity. But understanding why doesn't necessarily give us hope. See, he might have a better understanding of why, but it doesn't necessarily give him much hope. I mean, if you wake up with a severe headache, uh, it, it helps to know that somebody hit you in the head, and that's why you have a headache. And I, in my notes, I had originally put, it helps to know that you were walking under a palm tree and a coconut fell out and bonked you on the head. I mean, it helps to know why you have a headache if that happens, but it doesn't help you fix the headache. See, for the man reading this for the first time, I think that's the situation that they're in, is he's understanding why and he's getting better clarity. And they know life is hard and, and, and this is perspective. And I'm sure Genesis 3 helps clarify it. But is there hope here? Well, for the discerning reader, it can definitely bring hope. Look at verses 14 and 15. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of the life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. You say, Amen. What hope we have. How encouraging is that? Well, it's easier for us, I can tell you this, than it was for the children of Israel reading it. See, if the first big truth that we see here is that the effects of evil begin with man's choice to sin, the second big truth that I want to mention this morning is the effects of evil will end with God's win. See, the effects, of, and you're, a po- you're like, you're, you're a poet. Yes, I am. I'm a poet, and I hadn't even realized that was true. So, you'll get that later. Okay. The effects of evil began with man's choice to sin. But the effects of evil will end with God's win. Meaning, there's a beginning to the effects of evil, and it doesn't seem like it sometimes, but there will be an end to the effects of evil. In verse 14, Satan It came to Adam and Eve in the form of a serpent. So verse 14 is God's curse on the serpent to crawl in its belly and eat of the dust of the ground. And and I'm surprised he didn't get more amens there. Um, Most people hate snakes. Okay, I don't even have to tell you why we do. It's because they're cursed animals. And we'll just leave it at that. 
But verse 15 starts to shift his focus to Satan himself. He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. That word enmity, it literally means hatred. See, the idea here is that there will be a perpetual hatred and conflict between Satan's seed and the seed of the woman. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, Satan's seed is, represents all the wicked and evil and carnal forces and the carnal and wicked evil men that follow Satan or pursue his goals. Her seed is the first reference to Jesus Christ, but it also refers then to anybody that would follow or love or be a child of God, the seed, the family of God. Here we start to see the first reference between good and evil and the conflict that began in the garden, this conflict that Satan, that originally instigated the the conflict, he would pursue for ages to come. So that helps us. It helps a person understand why there's a battle between good and evil. But you say, well, but where's the hope? Well, look at the end of verse 15. It says, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And I referenced this the last time we were in Genesis 3, but it deserves more attention. This is a prophetic statement about the conflict between Satan and Christ. Pay attention here. This is where our hope comes from. Because when God says, it shall bruise thy head, he's referring to the ultimate battle of good versus evil. And just like a blow to the head of a serpent is the best way to kill it, here God is saying that someday Jesus Christ would deal a death blow to Satan himself. Satan's temptation in the garden led to the death of mankind. The wages of sin is death. And every human being, because we are sinners, we deserve to die and be separated forever from God in a place called hell because of our sin. Even Jesus Christ died due to sin. He was a substitute in our place, dying on the cross to pay for our sins that we could not pay for. But listen to this. Jesus Christ, on the third day, dealt a death blow to Satan when he rose from the dead and he's alive forevermore. He's the resurrection and the life. And we get to where we think, well, you know, Satan is winning and evil is winning. But there was a day that Jesus Christ dealt the death blow. And not only that, you go to the book of Revelation and you read Revelation 20 and it says that Jesus Christ will lay hold on Satan after those thousand years and it says the devil that had deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Let me just say it this way, Satan one day gets his. Satan one day will be dealt a death blow. You know, we can rejoice in that. We're on the winning side. We're on the good side. That's the message of Genesis 3, folks. In the midst of consequence and suffering and paradise lost, there's a promise that good will one day win versus evil. But don't miss something very important. And I want you to really lock in here. Even though God says to the serpent, it shall bruise thy head, and his good will win in the end, he does say, thou shalt bruise his heel. See, you know what that means? It means even though God, good wins in the end, there will be time when evil lands a blow. A heel bruise is a temporary bruise. It's not as bad as a head bruise, but a heel bruise hurts. 
See, Satan is not a wimp. Michael the archangel, God's powerful archangel, even himself in Jude 9, it says, Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, durst not bring a railing accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. Michael the archangel, this powerful angel, this powerful being and representative of God, even he wouldn't deal directly with Satan himself. He said, the Lord rebuke thee. Satan's no wimp. He's a formidable foe. And yes, God is greater because greater is he that it is in us than he that is in the world. And yes, we win in the end. But here's what I want you to get today. But there will be times when it seems like to use the word in verse 15. We're going to get bruised along the way. Good is stronger than evil in the, in the end, yes. But there will be times that it doesn't feel like it in the middle. If Satan was strong enough to bruise the heel of Christ on the cross, that was the, heel, the bruised heel of Jesus Christ. The death and the, the torture and the, the sacrifice there on the cross, that was the, the heel bruise. But if Satan could do that to Jesus Christ, who are we to think that we're going to get through life without bruises ourselves? The promise of a good ending doesn't mean there aren't going to be difficult moments in the middle. See, you have to think the children of Israel, they felt plenty bruised for over 400 years as slaves in Egypt. They worked as slaves without hope for deliverance for generation after generation. They thought God had abandoned them. And many generations of Israelites lived for those 400-something years. Many generations uh, that lived in that time frame, they lived and died as slaves. They would have felt their whole life was a bruise. They would have felt they never had hope. They never saw the end. And if you think about the Jews in general, uh, they've been bruised their entire existence. God's people have always been the target of Satan's evil attacks. Doing right doesn't guarantee that you take an easy road. Plenty of us have endured lots of bruising. Folks, in your life, evil has landed some blows. Maybe in your life, you've been bruised by a loved one. He, you've been abused. You say, oh, well, don't deal with stuff like that. You know, we're talking about winning. No, I'm saying there are heel bruises along the way. And there are people that I know and that you know they've dealt with abuse from a loved one. It's a bruise. There are some that have major health trials and sometimes one right after another and you look at their life and they're trying to do right and you think, man, there's a lot of bruising going on. Maybe there's been betrayal from a spouse. And when they said, till death do us part, they didn't mean it. There's been betrayal. And in your life, there's been a bruise. There's been a broken relationship with somebody that you trusted, that you were once close to, and for some reason they've cut you off and you don't understand why. It's a bruise. There's been financial loss in your life and, and, and you're struggling and you don't know where, how ends are going to meet and you don't know where to get the next dollar and you're not sure how the bills are going to be paid and it's all because of some bruises. Or someone who won't forgive you along the way because of something that you've done or maybe you don't even know what you've done. And you're bruised because of it. I mean, think about our culture. You look around, it feels like evil is winning. 
And it doesn't look like it's going to get any better anytime soon. And there are a lot of God's people right now, we're feeling bruised. Friends, life is bruising. Life is difficult sometimes. I mean, I look around the room and I think about situations people in this room have been in. And I think about the live stream. And I think about the bruising people watching at home that I know some of them have endured. It's been bruising. It's been difficult. There's a lot of bruised heels. Life is full of them. And there will be times when you're beat up and you're bruised. And I know it's not a bruised head, but bruised heels still hurt. And here's the problem. A lot of people give up along the way because of the bruises. They lose sight of the perspective. They, they get hurt or maybe they're betrayed and life is full of disappointment. And he's, well, you're not the first one to face it. If you're a Jew reading this for the first time, you've come out of slavery in Egypt and you've gone straight into the wilderness. You thought it was all going to get better, but now you're marching around the wilderness and you've likely been there. Some of them were there for 40 years before they got to the promised land. If you read further in the Bible, you, you read about Joseph and you read he was just trying to do right and his brother sold him into slavery and he ended up in prison. He had a lot of bruising along the way. You read about David being treated like he was by Saul, a lot of bruises. You go into the prophets and you read the minor prophets and the major prophets and men like Jeremiah who just said, I'll preach your word to the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, and yet they took him just by being faithful to God's word. They took him and threw him in a dungeon. Nobody ever listened to him. A lot of bruises in Jer Jeremiah's life. You think about the apostles. And the apostles say, say, they just said, we'll follow Christ. We're going to give him our lives. We're going to surrender. We're just going to give him everything. And after he ascended back into heaven, before too long, most of the apostles were martyred for their faith. And today we've got people, and you're going, you, you've come from a financial trial, and now there's cancer. Maybe you've lost a spouse, and, and now you've lost your way. And you might have a friend that used to be a friend and they're not anymore and you don't even know why. You've just done your best and yet lots of bruises. But let me remind you of something. As a child of God, a bruised heel feels like a loss in the present, but we win in the end. See, I'd much rather endure temporary bruises now but get to watch Jesus Christ deal that death blow to Satan at the end. As a child of God, the worst bruise I can get is a heel injury. Because good will conquer evil. And we will win in the end. But let me just say this. If you're not saved, if you're not a child of God, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, your bruises have, don't have that kind of meaning. So your heel bruises now, they feel bad, but you're going to have a worse bruise later. And I'm begging you, I'm imploring you today, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, if you want to give meaning to the bruises in your life, receive Him as your Savior this morning. Recognize that you're a sinner and that you deserve to die and be separated from God, but understand that Jesus Christ died on a cross so that you could give meaning to the bruises that you've been dealt in your life.
receive him by faith, and you can enjoy heaven, and someday all the bruises will have meaning. But if you don't have Christ as your Savior, that's not applicable to you. And you might even say as a child of God, well, why are there bruises at all? It's not fair that God would allow hardships. I'm just trying to do right. Well, first, let me say as sinners, we don't deserve any better than what we get anyway. I know that doesn't help much, but I'm just saying we deserve far worse than heel bruises. Anything bad right now that ends in eternal life is better than I deserve. But second, and this gives meaning to it, we serve a God who wasn't above suffering himself. Let me explain that. Think about the the details of this chapter. Think about everything involved in this chapter. You've got toil as a consequence. You've got sweat as a consequence. You've got the conflict between good and evil. And you've got this tree of knowledge over here that God's trying to keep us from. And you've got death and you've got returning to the dust. And you say, well, God's just a mean God to allow those kind of bruises and to make us endure such evil. But wait just a minute. All of the consequences dealt to mankind were reflected in the experiences of Jesus Christ himself, God's own son. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, in other words, whatever we endure, Jesus Christ has already endured. Now, think about it. The serpent and Satan and the ground, they were cursed because of this situation. But Jesus Christ became a curse when he died on the cross for our sins. The Bible says, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. We sweat and we toil and we work the ground Jesus Christ sweat great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane in agony. You say, well, it's not fair that we have to toil and work, but our Savior did. You know, we work the ground, it's full of thorns and thistles, it says, but Jesus Christ had a crown of thorns shoved into his skull for us. Mankind ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and yet Jesus Christ hung on a tree until he was dead. Mankind was naked and hid in shame. Jesus Christ, when he was crucified, was naked before the crowd, and he had nothing to cover himself with. Man was doomed to die and return to the dust of the ground. Jesus Christ, God's Son, was buried and placed in the dust of the earth. Man was exiled from the garden and separated from God, but Jesus Christ was forsaken by his own Father. There's no suffering we endure that our Savior hasn't faced already. And here's the difference. As a sinner, I deserve it. As my Savior, he does not. So before we blame God, For not being fair. Consider that his own son endured suffering like no man ever has or ever will again. That was his bruised heel. That's the perspective we need, folks. All the wrong and evil that we face, it's temporary. It's not a permanent injury. In the battle of good versus evil, we may endure some bruises. But good wins in the end. It may not always seem like good wins. 
I mean, especially if you've been alive in 2020, it doesn't seem like good wins in the end. I'm ready to fast forward and just be done with this year. This doesn't seem like a good conquers evil kind of year. But a bad year, as bad as it seems, it's just a bruised heel. I mean, I think about coronavirus and, and you know, it, see, it just doesn't, doesn't always seem like good wins in the end. I mean, think about all the health issues that people are dealing with and coronavirus, it's been devastating for some. But, and I'm not trying to downplay it or diminish it, coronavirus is just another bruised heel. It's a result of the fall. And for us to live in fear over something that in the end is just a bruised heel, I think we have the wrong perspective. Amen. Am I saying, don't be careful, don't be careful, don't care? Don't, I mean, no, I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that some people are looking at Christian people. They're viewing coronavirus like it's a bruised head. It's the end of everything. Folks, it's a bruised heel. This is a temporary challenge. And there will be an end to it. And for us to assume, well, this is the end of everything, is to shortchange what God's going to do in the end. When he finally throws Satan into that lake of fire. It may not always seem like good wins when you have a health crisis or when you have a heartbreak or a broken relationship or you have guilt over your sin. Maybe there's a death of someone close or some job loss. I am not downplaying them because bruised heels hurt. But in the end, they're just bruised heels. They're all tough. But compared to what happens in the end, it's safe to say whatever we face here is a bruised heel. It hurts, but it doesn't have to beat you. And that's the message I want to give you today. You're going to be bruised, but you make the choice whether or not you're beaten. It's possible to be bruised and not be beaten. So are you going to let a bruised heel dictate how you live your life? Are you going to remember who deals that final bruise, that final death blow in the end, and live according to that? So many of God's people let bruised heels beat them, but you have a choice. You may not choose the bruises, but you can choose whether or not the bruises beat you. It's possible to be bruised and not be beaten. The effects of evil will leave some bruises, but you don't have to be beaten because why? You're on God's side. Good wins in the end. You don't choose the bruise, but you can choose to not be beaten. Let's stand together, every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.